Hello and welcome to Film Inquiries, the latest. This is a podcast series tackling the latest movie news, movie trends, and movie releases. I'm your host, Jesse Nussman. And this week, on the other line, picking up some bagel and locks for the family, it's Gabe Lample and Bella. Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you for having me back, Jesse. Excited to talk about this one. Yeah, so this week we're we got kind of a, a smaller episode. Um, you know, November is gonna be another big month of releases, but um I would say right this is sort of a smaller weekend ahead of uh the incoming Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which is probably going to be the, the like big movie of the month. Um, but there, there. Even though I would not say the movie we are talking about this week is like a major release, I think it is one that is ripe for a lot of discussion, and that is James Gray's Armageddon Time. Um, which, if it's not out in a theater near you, will probably be rolling out more over the coming weeks. Um, this is a movie that has been playing various festivals uh throughout the year um you i believe saw it at our kind of beloved film fest 919 in North carolina uh i went to a press screening here in atlanta this past week um i'm curious before we we kind of dive into this movie what relationship you have if any to james gray and his movies because i think james gray is someone who is not like a household name i feel like as far as american no. filmmakers are concerned although ironically i've i've heard he is over in europe he is a very big deal and like you know the french huh. in particular think he's like one of the the signature american filmmakers um but he kind of comes out of the you know the same generation of filmmakers in the 90s but maybe has not quite had the same kind of i don't know crossover appeal or box office success or kind of like broad scale critical championing as like a Paul Thomas Anderson or a Quentin Tarantino. Um, but clearly has his sort of devoted cult followers. Um, I'm someone who particularly really enjoys his movies, but I'm, I'm curious what your relationship to him is and which of his movies you have seen versus haven't seen. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. James Gray is always one of those guys I would put in that niche category of filmmakers mm -hmm. to where, it's a very specific audience, but his fans love him deeply, as you said. And as somebody, you know, who kind of has jumped in at this weird point in his career where he's mixing up what he directs and mm -hmm. which projects kind of attract him, I think it's been really interesting, you know, to go from something like The Immigrant to Ad Astra to now Armageddon Time. Um so he's definitely somebody I've I've loved following kind of grow and evolve. I don't know if I'm necessarily a diehard fan, mm -hmm. but this might be the movie that turned me. I will say that now just into that diehard fan. Yeah, his is if if anyone hasn't seen his movies, you know, he typically does. I would say these very understated, very classical, largely New York set dramas. His his last two movies at Astra and Lost City of Z have been kind of departures from that maybe right. the same style but not um not set in the the queen's neighborhood he grew up in um and so this newest movie is sort of a return to form and return back home and is similar to to many movies we have seen in the last couple of years as a director making a movie about their childhood and their family and the environment they grew up with and the stuff that was kind of 
happening behind the scenes that maybe and like influential you know, to them right i mean the the sort of i'm sure obvious comparison that's going to be made here in a couple weeks is i don't i don't think you've seen the the spielberg movie yet mm-hmm. but like i'm i'm sure i'm actually curious and like kind of kind of hope not for the sake of this movie like that they'll cancel each other out but like i kind of couldn't help but thinking of that one i'm sure there'll be a lot of comparisons once that movie comes out of like another filmmaker making a movie about their teenage years and their right. family and it's a jewish american filmmaker it's a very jewish american movie and um but i would say kind of the difference between the spielberg movie and gray's movie and it's not to say you know this is a point of like one being better than the other but i think on the tiff episode we did talked about how there was a lot of conversation about like how much of the spielberg movie is kind of like self-reflection versus self-mythology and Mm. uh daniel feingold who is on that episode with me kind of landing on the side of like it is more of kind of like spielberg create taking his his childhood experience and his own family drama and sort of spinning it into myth as as it were it is sort of the self-mythologizing of steven spielberg by steven spielberg i would say gray's film on the opposite end really is self-reflection and is i think him thinking very critically about um him at this very impressionable age of i i I forget what age he's actually is in the movie but let's let's say like middle school age right right in that 10 to 12 year old window right and like who was i as a person what path could my life have taken um what was my relationship with my family maybe i was even kind of like a little bit of a shit as a kid like maybe i was not even the most appealing person to be around and how has things like um my economic class that I grew up in and my race specifically affected the, the life that I have had and what breaks have I gotten and how have those sort of larger socioeconomic themes and forces sort of um, paved the way to the person I am today. And it's these really, really like heavy, some ways thorny themes that he is wrestling with but all in this as kind of hinted earlier this very kind of classical kind of coming of age story um should mention playing his uh parents in the movie is Anne Hathaway and Jeremy Strong and then you have uh Anthony Hopkins playing his grandfather and I would say the kind of like central tension of the movie is this friendship he has with a black student at his public school and both of them is kind of the the mischievous kids in the classroom kind of getting in and out of trouble um but how gray's sort of fictional uh version of himself in this movie kind of gets more of a break in life and is able to kind of through luck and through as i kind of hinted earlier kind of like placement in in society gets breaks in life that maybe his uh black friend did not at the moment and gray as i said kind of thinking critically about like what is 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 it fair that i became the person i became and in what ways are these sort of like larger forces in life kind of paving the way for the people we're going to become um it's it's a lot for i think us to unpack but i know you deeply deeply love this movie so i'm excited to hear you talk about it well you know it's funny you you bring up 
these kind of broad themes he's wanting to tackle. And at the same time, he's he's counterbalanced those with kind of this mundane New York family life in that time. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that really struck me was that balance. Mm-hmm. You know, we can go from talking about broad and relevant themes to the world today to, you know, saying, hey, I don't want my mom's cooking. I'm going to order Chinese food like right. he does in the film. <laughs> and it's those little moments to me that pack such an impression and it's the way that James Gray has honestly cast the film that sticks out to me mm-hmm. because and to avoid spoilers and the trailers have kind of teased this sequence, a scene in the park. Oh, uh huh. Yeah. And in anyone else's hands, any other actor, there's a there's a line to where that scene could play into melodrama. Mm-hmm. And Hopkins delivers it in such a way to where it feels so much more honest than that. Mm-hmm. And if I had to describe this movie in a, in a word, I I would say honesty is a big thing because nothing feels glamorized. Mm-hmm. Everything feels very humane. And, you know, like we said, the characters, especially the kids, are little shits <laughs> and they're treated as that way. And at the same time, there's a point where they may be a little more than that. And it's the complexity of all of these characters is, is the thing that stuck out to me or stuck out to me. It's it's something even from the standards of James Gray films. I haven't seen him tackle complexity in this way. You know, if you look at something like Two Lovers, that's complex, but almost in a, a the form of a play, you know, a, a straightforward play, not necessarily learning anything substantial about those characters personally or seeing those instances that made them who they were. And especially, can we just talk about the cinematography for a minute? Oh yeah. I mean the great, the great Darius Kanji um, who shot this movie and shoots a lot of Gray's films. um, I mean, just like an incredible sense of like griminess and kind of like lived in, I don't, I don't even know how to, it just sort of feels worn down and stuff like, you know, this movie's set in the early 1980s, Ray, the election that will put Ronald Reagan in the White House is kind of looming in the background. Um, this is very much a New York City that is still like pre-Giuliani, so it's kind of grimy and grungy, and there's like, you know, graffiti put all over like the... Uh, the um subway cars i mean i'm i'm talking a little bit about like the the production design oh too yes now. That- but but it, it 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 does i think like darius kanji kind of gives this movie this incredible kind of like vintage lived in it's not a period piece movie that feels like a bunch of people putting on like wigs and kind of like funky like faux right. 70s outfits everything feels very very specific and lived in and it's been interesting like i mean I would encourage anyone like James Gray is someone who gives like incredible candid interviews um, and and is like one of the most entertaining people to just like read and listen to on a press tour Um, and just him talking about the level of detail and like capturing what what it was like just to be in his home and the specifics of the furniture and the lighting and all of that stuff it. There, there's a an incredible amount of specificity to this movie, which is something that I, I really love and is something that I think helps it feel all the more sort of immersed in and, and all the more kind of true and sort of melancholy in a way. Melancholy is a really good word for it because there's this 
inherent feeling of the changing times creeping up on these characters mm-hmm. that they're starting to feel as well. And that really adds to the drama and adds to the sort of plotlessness of the film, or at least mm-hmm. it did in my viewing. Because these characters know what they're doing now isn't going to last forever. And Gray never once puts that in a glowering, you know, looking down upon the audience or trying to, let's say, mirror that to post-pandemic America to where we thought it was never going to end. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from a cinematography standpoint, what I find so interesting is everything feels like it has its own texture and individual feeling to it. And a particular sequence late in the film to avoid spoilers for those haven't who haven't seen it um, involving a hospital. Mm-hmm. That whole sequence felt so honest in a way that I myself have experienced that just struck a chord with me deeply. But then at the same time, as much as I loved this movie, there's a particular sequence I want to poke your head about with Jessica Chastain. Oh yeah, so I I think I think we can we can spoil I think this we can and say it yeah and and I don't think there's actually like too much to to spoil in this movie, especially since Gray on the the you know the press rollout has been very candid about like a lot of this like you know the the names are are changed and there's obviously some fictional flourishes, but a lot of this is like pretty ripped from how he remembers it growing up. Right. So, um. There, there's obviously this sequence you're talking about. A, another like, kind of like big um, dramatic uh, arc through the movie is because Gray's sort of surrogate character in the film is a bit of a troublemaker at his public school. Um, his parents pull him out and put him in a private school. And because his grandparents are like fairly wealthy, they're able to pay for this private school and that giving him sort of a second chance as he's kind of flunking out of public school. And it ended up being that that the private school that he attends is the one that the Trump family largely attended and were big donors for. And so uh, Donald Trump's father and I believe it's his aunt have very kind of I wouldn't say like hugely important to the plot, but make like major appearances. Um, I I I, this was something I had kind of heard as a rumor because this I believe was a script that gray was trying to get made like right before the pandemic and actually had like i believe a completely different cast like i believe instead of anne hathaway and or maybe anne hathaway was always involved but i i definitely know oscar isaac was originally cast as the father i believe kate blanchett was originally cast as the mother if not anne hathaway and robert de niro was going to be the grandfather so it was almost like total like sliding doors of like it was set up with that group of people and then the pandemic happens and they had to like completely change everything yeah um but they're uh you know it i'd always heard this rumor of like yeah it's sort of about the sort of shifting um economics of new york in the 80s and the trumps are gonna play a major role at some point but like it was always very vague about what that was and there is this movie the scene in kind of the center of the movie that is a school assembly where donald trump's aunt comes and gives a speech and is played by Jessica Chastain and it's one specific sequence like she doesn't appear in the rest of the movie and but I thought it was such it was so interesting like listening to Gray talk about that scene and him talking about the decision to cast Chastain there um and specifically to cast like 
largely really famous people to be his you know adult family members and describing that as like as a kid you know you think of your parents as these like superstar godlike beings and seeing this woman who you know he wouldn't really have the context for who she is until much later in life come to his school and give this big assembly it was like uh you know clearly this is a really really big important woman who's coming to speak to us and then you know to telegraph that let's cast like an oscar-winning actress as uh i as trump's aunt um but i i i found the decision to kind of like i largely enjoyed um maybe that's the wrong word i i i think i think the inclusion of the trumps works and i was a little anxious going in of just like oh gosh is this gonna kind of turn into james gray's like i'm gonna try and use the story of my life to also say something about everything we went through in the last four five years with the trump administration and stuff of like how everyone in hollywood's kind of trying to make their trump movie or been trying to make some version of that and some sort of critique almost yeah and i think there's certainly a through line you can you can take but it it is more sort of a feat of world building in my opinion than anything else and you know listening to him talk in interviews about this movie and being like no it was just this weird thing of like i went to the same school as like the trumps have kind of like been in my life for years and years because i went to the same school that they were donors in and they would come and give assemblies and stuff and it's just been like weird to see where that family has gone because they, they were just sort of like the people that kind of ran my school and just sort of came in and out. Uh, so I'm curious what you thought about it too, since you, since you brought it up. Well, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, hearing that kind of about gray being a little more blase of just, you know, a random life connection, because I think in a roundabout sort of way, it's, it's a perfect theme to kind of cap off this almost fear the film has about the changing times. Oh, definitely. And it's a subtle inclusion, but I, an actress amongst the caliber of someone like a Jessica Chastain, I sells the menace of Mm -hmm. of what audiences know came after. Mm -hmm. And as a parallel, you know, to let's say once we get into more of the plot and kind of the racial tension that Gray wants to really pinpoint it's almost as if the film builds upon this, this idea of fear from the Trump sequence going forward. And it's the sort of thing to where you can't help, but wonder if gray is, is making a statement about how far we've come and how unfortunate it is, how we've gotten so, you know, little done in terms of progressing society forward coded as a coming of age story. And that's, really unique to see for these kind of films i mean granted i as we kind of discussed i haven't seen the fablemans yet but when i think of a filmmaker like spielberg i I don't consider him as risky in terms of wanting to tarnish let's say a family image or you know certain period of time Mm -hmm. so i found that ambitious more than anything for this sort of movie yeah there's there's a real nakedness in the way he's there there is no purely good character in this movie there's there's even i mean now now i think we can start kind of tying in various themes here i think kind of piggybacking what i'm talking about about how there's no one purely good people person in this movie like we see gray growing up in this you know what we would think of as like a very like progressive uh 
family in in um in Queens, New York. Um, and you know, we his parents are like kind of against Reagan. They're very democratic, but yet we see in instances like bits of you know when they hear he's getting in the trouble but he's also hanging out with a black kid at school we see even their prejudice come out and we see that you know this that the the sort of even the most kind of like idyllic kind of liberal families can even still have you know they can be hypocrites and even you know hopkins character throughout most of the movie is seen as this kind of like wise old grandfather um, sort of bestowing his wisdom onto the young Gray. But even he says things that are contradictory. He talks about how, um, you know, Gray needs to stand up in the sort of face of injustice, but is also bestowing a message of you have to play the game and this game is rigged against you and you got to like do what you can to sort of wiggle around that. And so you know, that's why our family changed our name to make it sound less Jewish. And we're, I have the money to like put you in school and that's going to give you a leg up in the game. So he's even bestowing this sort of contradictory message of like, you know, you can work hard and succeed and stand up and always do the right thing and things are going to work out while also telling him, no, the world is messed up and there are systems in place that favor some people more than others. Um, and we're going to try and give you the best kind of golden key to get to get through those doors. But like, it's going to be an uphill battle. And even that kind of tying in with the Trump stuff, if I think that adds on to, you know, the speech that Jessica Chastain gives in that moment is very much this kind of like kind of right wing idyllic speech of like, if you just work hard you know, pull the, yourself up by your boots. Right. The sky's the limit. Anyone can succeed at doing anything. And I think Gray trying to juxtapose that with like the audience for that are largely these like really privileged, largely white kids who aren't going to have as much of an uphill battle. And so, yeah, maybe they can just work pretty hard. Or as we see from some of his classmates, maybe not work hard and <laughs> hard yeah. really at all and yeah. they'll still be they'll still be fine um and i think the placement of his family in this movie is so interesting of like you know we see from the other kids at the prep school um and obviously the the trumps in their small couple of scenes you know there there is a world of people who have more access and are because of their economic status um, are able to maneuver through the world in a much easier way and get more of a pass in certain areas than he, his family is. But then even he has more access and more sort of ability to move through the world than his black friend at the public school who largely, I mean, I kind of a spoiler here, but I think has to take the fall for a lot of, gray's actions in the movie um and there's that really to me like the most haunting scene of the year this is again like a small spoiler here but i'll try to be vague about it the the scene with him and jeremy strong at in in the car at the end of the movie where you know him and his friend have gotten in trouble with the law and jeremy strong basically tells him you know his father tells him like you know, because of this small kind of like 
random coincidence, you are you you get a pass. Your friend, he's probably going to jail, but because of something totally like cosmic outside of your control, a just like random coincidence passing of events, you're going to get the pass. And meanwhile, your friend is going to take the fall. Us understanding as an audience, like the f- the friend is probably going to jail, and because of this small little like moment of like a client his father knew that is like working at the police department gray gets to go free and and that just being like the most haunting sequence and and something that i'm sure is like fueling gray's sort of artistic process of like i'm trying to think through of like i i should not be have the life i maybe shouldn't have the life i have now i made a ton of mistakes growing up and there are people that I knew that went to jail or, you know, did not get the same opportunities I did. And there's people whose parents were super, super rich and made more money than me that also had, you know, way more kind of freedom and opportunities than even I did. So that that's kind of how, like, a lot of these themes, how I kind of see them all connecting together, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And I I would agree thoroughly. I think even more than a coming of age story it's gray acknowledging that he was his own worst enemy mm-hmm. and no matter how many times the world gave him an opportunity he squandered it mm-hmm. and for a filmmaker to make a coming of age story quote unquote to to have that sort of sort of statement about themselves is is very subversive for this type of movie Mm-hmm. And I I don't want people to go into this necessarily thinking it's a standard coming of age story because I wouldn't say it is. I there's so much more to chew on with this than you know your typical again not again having not seen the movie than something like the Fablemans. It's it's very unique to have a a family story come out like this this close to Thanksgiving that will scare you into thinking about how there really hasn't been that much progression in society from that point to now which is cool to see or interesting to see yeah and I, and i like what you bring up about the subversiveness of it i i think gray's my gray's best films in my opinion are have always been quietly subversive you know he he has such a a classical style that it's easy to sort of overlook the subversiveness but I think he's he's sort of using this very classical style while the ideas in it are maybe challenging some of the conventions of what we would see in a movie like this. So what you're saying of like this is this is billed as like a very classic coming of age story family drama, but most of the times when we see those movies they are sort of draped in nostalgia. This is not a movie right. draped in nostalgia. This is a movie that is in, interrogating those memories and is trying to look back on one's life, not with sort of rose-covered goggles, but with a, a critical eye. And similar to, I mean, probably my two favorite movies of his, uh, Lost City of Z, which is this, like, you know, classical David Lean-esque adventure movie that, you know, would seem like similar to something like Lawrence of Arabia, but I think is also looking at, history through this kind of progressive lens and is is not doing that in sort of sacrifice of kind of that old school style but sort of 
letting it kind of quietly change the focus of of what's important in the movie or even something like i recently rewatched after i went and saw this movie um we own the night which is this yes. uh um police drama he did that that you know it feels like a sydney lament movie from the 70s but has this sort of quiet subversive element to it i, I think adam Naiman at the ringer wrote a really great piece about it um several years ago that i would encourage everyone to read that you know it it is it's got a similar sort of uh tragic arc as something like the godfather where you know the kind of uh black sheep of the family who is sort of uh kind of moved on and sort of built his own surrogate family and is is building his own life away from in in the case of the godfather it's this this crime enterprise um and then gets pulled back in through uh the necessity of revenge to sort of avenge a wrong against his biological family and the sort of fall that character takes but subverting it from it's not about someone diving into the criminal underworld it's the cops this time and right. something that you know this is a bit of me kind of creating a, a a maybe reactionary narrative that doesn't exist but like while watching that movie I was like i could see a reactionary like twitter um jab against this movie that it's like oh it's copaganda or something like that it's like no it's not like the end of the movie is like the joaquin phoenix character i mean kind of partial spoiler i'm sorry if you haven't seen the movie but like um you know the walking phoenix character has kind of like destroyed his whole life and sort of abandoned everything that was important to him to sort of give himself up to the the new york police department and to has now sort of put himself he, he has been sort of swallowed back into this this thing that he tried to avoid his entire life of wanting to be different than his family not wanting sort of the same fate as his father his brother and has you know he's now at the center of that and has given up you know the the surrogate family for to help avenge the biological family and there's a real sense of like melancholy and tragedy at the end of that that movie if you just look at on what's being you know given off on phoenix's face the the just the, like last line of that movie and the last image of him is so haunting um and so i think that is just like something that's so built into gray is like his movies on the surface seem like they're these very sort of straightforward homages to like classic movie tropes um or movies that we have seen before but he's kind of quietly subverting a lot of the ideas and sort of really digging for something like deeper and more kind of moody um underneath the surface i think moody and truthful mm-hmm. i would say yeah and especially to to not i don't want to spoil the last shot of this because i think it sums everything up in in a pretty tight bow for where james gray has kind of evolved as a filmmaker mm-hmm. but it's this really subtle and quiet wrap-up of things that says a lot by saying a little to mm-hmm. me. And that's that was the moment where I finally realized that it was one of my favorite films of the year because I don't think there's been a movie that has packed a punch for me emotionally as strong as this one did. Just in terms of, yes, it's a time capsule, 
but it's also gray holding up a mirror to show how behind we are today. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting, especially in the context of it being marketed as, you know, your typical coming of age story. Yeah, not not very uh, as as unfortunately is often the case with Gray's movies. Like going back and watching some trailers for a bunch of them recently. Like marketing's kind of bad for this movie. Although yes. I kind of, I guess the flip side, the the sort of devil devil's advocate argument to be made against that is like kind of a hard movie to to market to be true to be honest. That's, but yeah. but yeah, I don't. I think the marketing for this movie is making it seem like a much more kind of. Um, soapboxy movie than it actually is um right as as we're saying it's way more understated it's way more subtle and i think the ideas it's it's tackling are way more sort of thorny and complicated and i don't even think he has sort of come to the answers at the end of this movie i i think this this is is a movie by a filmmaker who's it still feels like is is working through something and is searching for something but has not come up with the answers for it. And this is just the the thing that just sort of comes out of the ether as, you know, you're trying to wrestle with what what does all this stuff that I went through as a kid kind of mean for me today? And what does what does it mean for us as as a society today? What does it say about kind of the larger American culture and like the American experience? And something that I'm curious to ask you about, I mean, I I think I like the movie quite a bit. Um, it, I'm curious to see it again. I would say it's kind of mid tier in his movies for me, but okay. Um, you know, I think the 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 one kind of critical jab I would maybe make against it, and it's not, it's not a like this needs to be fixed sort of thing. It's sort of a a like cosmic like unintended consequence of the movie is that this is a movie that is. What is great about it is, as we're saying, it is so personal. It is so much him kind of like opening up his soul and opening up his heart and kind of, oh, you know, I'm just thinking of someone kind of like opening their jacket and like, I, I'm I'm ready to sort of take the the arrows shot at me. Um, and I think it is so much from his perspective and that is what makes it great and what makes it honest. And maybe the unintended consequence of it is kind of, the the black characters in it particularly the friend maybe doesn't feels like the one piece of the movie that this doesn't feel like as fully realized of a person i don't know am i sort of making sense it's sort of like oh what yeah, makes no, no, the no. movie so great is is gray's sort of like attention the detail and honesty and and the movie is almost saying like i don't under i i am i go through the world with a different experience than my friend did but yet in that honesty in in sort of saying i i did not understand the life that my friend was living at the time the friend kind of doesn't feel like as fully realized of a character as he does in the movie and kind of at times can feel like a little bit of like a bit of clichés um and and so maybe that's something upon like just seeing it once is the thing that kind of stood out to me the most is like oh this this is potentially the like the open wound that this movie kind of has that maybe holds it back, I think from being a a kind of borderline masterpiece for me. But I think that is sort of an unintended effect of kind of like what gray is trying to, to work through as an artist, if that makes sense. It's, it's a ripple effect. And it's perfect. Perfect. That's the word I was searching for. (laughs) No, you're good. You're good. It's, 
it's this unfortunate thing to where I can definitely see that argument, but I don't think there's anything in this movie's job that mm-hmm. requires them to tackle it. Yes, yes. And I think Gray could tackle it. I think Gray has the intelligence as a filmmaker to at least make a statement on mm-hmm. those kind of more racial heavy themes. But in a way to critique his own white privilege, yes, was enough for me mm-hmm. to look past how that character at the end of the day is more of an idea than a fully fleshed out person compared to himself or anybody in his family yeah that's a that's a that's a perfect way of of describing it. you just said that better than, than i <laughs> than i could have just sort of like in interrogating his own white privilege kind of shows kind of like a lack of uh depth given to the black characters in the movie which is just sort of a ripple effect of a movie where he is trying to work through my his white privilege as a right. filmmaker and 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 this is part of what i think is and why i'm like definitely encouraging people to to check this movie out is is it is something that is like there's so much to kind of unpack and so many of these kind of thorny topics to kind of work through and as you said like that criticism that i brought up is i think it's not he is not telling the story that is not the story he is telling but becomes the kind of like you know if you're thinking of like you know you building like a fort and trying to like protect it against like invading people like that becomes then the like oh the unintended spot that like now has to be open in order for us to focus on this other stuff over here exactly it's this elephant in the room that he doesn't know how to kind of handle Mm -hmm. and there are places, you know, as film fans and just in, in general, viewers will will put together different pieces than the film does. Mm-hmm. But at its core, the ambition for a white hetero filmmaker to critique his privilege, you know, in, yeah. in 1980s America and to more or less comment on, hey, I, I don't necessarily like that I still can get away with what I could now. Mm hmm is enough that shows me enough integrity from a filmmaking perspective Mm -hmm. to really appreciate what he accomplished but yet at the same time i can see where a film like this would feel more mid-tier to some and not necessarily with the substance because i think it's more how you interpret gray's message Mm -hmm versus the execution in the film itself if that makes sense yeah definitely um but at the same time the ambition of it just really left me speechless yeah by the time the credits rolled and for a for filmmakers to make movies that want to tackle themes this broad in their own marketed coming of age story Mm mm-hmm just was something incredibly different which compared to i'm sure some movies you saw at toronto or movies that i saw at film fest 919 weren't able to accomplish yeah yeah definitely i mean i mean this is it is simultaneously i think the most ambitious american movie of the year in terms of of as you said it's it's ideas and what it wants to tackle and what it wants to to say about a a 
forget his own life about America. Right. Um, while, uh, while also trying to talk about his own life. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious, do you have any kind of like final thoughts on it? Like before, uh, we, we kind of wrap up this episode. No, I, I would just say overall, it's, it's definitely something I would encourage people to check out and see mm-hmm. because I think there's a, a real, misconception going on with this one and and i don't want i don't want people to miss all that james gray wants us to chew on Mm -hmm. i would say and the performances are great i think anthony hopkins is stellar he Um, he's good i i think i almost wonder what the de niro version would be well i don't know if i would have bought de niro as like an eastern european jew either but (laughs) <laughs> like that that was the one weird casting thing of like no one plays like whimsical grandfather better than anthony hopkins but was a bit like mm, i don't i don't know that i buy anthony hopkins as, as much as <laughs> i i mean but but i mean like he is delightful and like chewing it up and and having having a ball um you know could play a role like that in his sleep i absolutely i, I really enjoyed hathaway and and jeremy strong in, yes. in this movie um and and thank i i hope this is a movie that that gets some awards attention i mean as kind of hinted earlier like gray's movies sometimes kind of like unfortunately i think kind of like slip through the cracks a little bit right um and i you know there's there is the kind of fear in the back of my head that like fableman's just comes out in a couple weeks and like cancels it out because people are dumb and they're just like i don't know two jewish coming of age stories guess we got to pick one like why why can't we have both yeah exactly But um, yeah, I I I kind of I think all the performances in this are are pretty great, and think Gray in general gets like really good quiet performances out of his actors. I mean, I mentioned Joaquin Phoenix earlier, like Joaquin Phoenix is in like four of his movies, and I think you know I I was kind of saying this when the the whole Joker phenomenon was happening happening, and I was like. Guys, the best Joaquin Phoenix performances are the James Gray movies, but like no one sees those. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you know, I I will say the Joaquin Phoenix performances with James Gray are some of the most interesting. Yes. I will give you that. Yeah. I will give you that. But it's it's definitely a movie that's that's gonna leave audiences feeling one way or the other. Yeah, I, I, I think it's definitely one that'll elicit strong reactions yes. from from people um not not just about whether they you know this is a little bit of like twitter slang but of like not not just can they get with the vibe of a james gray movie which you know for lack of a better word his movies are a vibe um Big and time. uh but also of just sort of like what people want to think about these as as you said kind of very challenging heavy ideas that he's wanting to tackle in this movie and say what you will on if he executes them all or not the ambition can go a long way yeah yeah definitely well gabe uh thank you so much for stopping by this week jesse it's always a pleasure thanks for having me uh stay tuned on the latest next week's episode we will be discussing uh kind of one of the two i would say biggest movies of the fall which is black panther wakanda forever um we'll also be discussing in the coming weeks probably she said 
uh the movie about the reporting on harvey weinstein oh um, yes the which i've seen oh that's right you have seen it yes, yes. um we'll be talking about fablemans obviously i'm i'm kind of getting a little disoriented about what all is coming out this month bones and all um white noise yes. which i'm really excited to see there's there's a lot of a lot of good stuff coming out this month hopefully a lot a lot really in these last two months a lot of small releases this month going wider over the holidays so yeah definitely an exciting time for cinema lovers yes definitely